back, Ag Watchers, to another episode. It's got myself, Andrew Whitelaw, and Matt Douglas, aka Meat Watcher. Uh, just the two of us today thought we'd give a very short, sharp summary of what is happening in some of the major markets that we cover. Matt, what's happening? What's going on? It's just the two of us, Andrew. That's what's going on. I thought we had a, um, a guest plan and, and they pulled out at the last minute. So um, now you know, Andrew, what it's like when the rug gets pulled under you at the last minute, mate. Just, uh, oh, you know, you know, all these things planned and then, you know, never mind. We'll, I'm sure we'll be able to get a guest for next week. No, I'm sure people. Sure, I'm sure we will. You know, it's, it's, a new, it's a new paradigm just having the two of us on here. So, so Matt, what's happening with the sheep? Uh, that's right. Well, that's interesting news in the sheep space. So, updated the ABS data for um, the end of the December quarter, uh, the slaughter data. And with that, we can actually calculate a bit similar to what we do with the cattle market with the female slaughter ratio. We look at the sheep offtake um, or the sheep turnoff ratio. Uh, and that gives us an idea as to what phase of uh, either rebuild or liquidation the flock's in. So uh, September quarter, it showed that it was getting close to a rebuild, but it wasn't quite there technically. Um, December quarter, we've very aggressively moved to rebuild. We've actually gone from about 14.3% as a turnoff ratio to 10.6% um, over the uh, over the quarter, which is a big drop. And the, the threshold, Andrew, is 14%. So that's why I said that 14.3, we were just above a technical rebuild and now we're well into rebuild territory. And so what, what is the strongest rebuild we've had in the past? Uh, this if, is, if, if it's 14%, have we had it at 16% or? Uh, yeah, we have, as in when it's in liquidation. And actually, it's a good question because the 2010-2011 period was the last time we saw a significant increase to the flock. And again, it was a La Nina and, and really wet season. And back then we saw it go to 10 and a half was the lowest it got to, you know, in one of the years there. So, um, so that's, um, you know, that's kind of pretty much where we're at now. Um, and um, what I've done actually on one of the TM uh, articles is look to see over the last, uh, you know, 30, 40 years or so, what that turnoff ratio does to tell us, uh, give us a bit of an indicator as to what might happen with the flock. Um, and so, yeah, it's looking as though, I mean, from a, from a kind of, looking at it not too aggressively, not too conservatively, if you go in that midpoint, it's looking like the flock's going to increase this year by about 3% is what I'm tipping, 2.7 to be precise, um, is what I think is the likely scenario. Um, MLA are a little bit more aggressive on their, MLA are a bit more aggressive on their, um, on their forecast from their sheep um, outlook. They were looking at 5.2%. Um, and, and to get it to that level, we'd probably need, need the sheep turnover ratio to be, you know, quite low for, for this kind of whole year, plus maybe next year. I, I can't see it staying that low for that long. But anyway, we'll keep an eye on it and see how it goes. Yeah, but it's all positive. Post, yeah. Post, post drought rebuild. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, if we do see those those kind of numbers of, a you know, 4.95% type um, increase to the flock, we, we're looking at getting the flock back up to like 67 million head this year, which would be a massive uh, increase. Um but you never know. We'll just keep an eye on it. And the other thing we uh, looked at this week just quickly was um, updated the beef processor model uh, for, um, for for processors, and that was, again, a, another – well, I had to redo some of the figures because we had some new data come in or some data that wasn't available in January. Um, so instead of, a, instead of having a record loss of $310 um, for January, we had about a record loss of $350, oh, three, yeah, $350, I think it was. 
Oh, no, it was 340, my mistake, $340 um, loss per head of catalyst slaughtered. And then for um, February, it pretty much went sideways, uh, so 339 So still really massive losses. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you, we certainly it can't be sustained for too long before we start seeing some real significant impact to the, um, to the supply chain and the processing sector. Oh, you, can't, you can't make money at that level. And no. So but what, what's keeping them holding on? Just you know, throughput requirements, you know, fixed costs, that type of thing? Or? Yeah, they've got, I mean, they're very reluctant, even though, you know, historically when they've been in this period when they lose money there, the way that their kind of system operates is they can't really afford to shut down for an extended period, and particularly to do with labour, skilled labour in some of these regional spots where the processes operate out of. If they shut down for a period of time and they lose that skilled labour force, when they want to reopen again, they just won't find the skilled labour force again. Yeah, um, I guess that's the thing. Like a lot of employers say, you know, anyone's replaceable, but, you know, a skilled workforce is not replaceable, really. And you, you yeah. see in many places, once you get rid of a skilled workforce, it's really hard to maintain the same productivity. That's you know, right. With, with new sort of inexperienced stuff. Mm, that's that's very, uh, very uh, good uh, summary of what what can happen to them andrew so um that's pretty much it for i mean prices have been uh, not not too kind of um exciting a little bit of a drift off for both um cattle and sheep you know just generally speaking so um bit bit kind of sideways with a slight softer bias i guess um what about uh in in, in your world Matt, the international grain markets are you so familiar with well worcester or the worcester report was out the world agricultural supply and demand estimates by the USDA, the monthly report of what is happening around the, the world. And, you know, if you want a really quick summary of the whole report, basically take the words mostly unchanged. And that really has it really summarized. Nothing, nothing really exciting, nothing that nothing that was really unexpected you know Australia they followed Australia's numbers up or the ABARES numbers to 33 million tons but largely everything else was unchanged and this time of the year it is always just tinkering at the edges and refining what is already known It'll be more exciting in a couple of months time as as we come into the northern hemisphere season and we see what's happening happening there um, we've had a, had a bit of a slide in 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 wheat prices on, on a global level and look this is again there's a real dearth of of information out there you know this is the boring time of the year for grain markets this year's probably the exception where there's actually been some interesting stuff the last three months but generally this first four months of the year would be pretty pretty dire and pretty dull um, and we're just returning to that normality now and I think that's what we're what we're seeing is, you know, the lack of information has just pushed the market down a little bit. What we can we mm. maybe say it's profit taking or, or or what have you. We've got a large speculative long, so we shall see, you know, how that's changed this week. That old chestnut, the old profit taking chestnut. We don't know what we're not, we know what's moving the market, so we we'll just say it's profit taking. That's a good one. So when you technical moves, yeah, that's it. When you. Uh, when you have limited stuff to talk about on the markets, and Andrew, do you just revert back to your favourite topic of uh, China? China, China, China. So it's been interesting, actually. Like I, I had a conversation with, uh, you know, a fellow analyst, uh, and uh, we had a bit of a. They were querying, you know, how much we all know that roughly half the world's wheat is held in China, at least on paper, 
and was, they were querying well, how much corn and how much soybeans is held in China. And so I thought, well, it was probably worthwhile actually looking at all the different commodities. And if you look at like the major commodities, you know, the, uh, the, the corn, rice, you know, corn, 68% of the world's stocks are in China. Rice, 65%. Wheat, 50%, we all know. Cotton, 39%. Soybeans, 35%. Rapeseed, stroke canola, uh, 26%. Sorghum, 7%. And barley, a lowly 2%. And that's sort of, look, those, those those sort of first six, you know, you're talking more than a third for a lot of the major commodities of stocks are held in China. So it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it, to me, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty telling that there's such big stocks. And I think when we sort of, I've never actually seen a chart before that has put them all on, like over time, in terms of Chinese percentage against the world. I have seen it. We put it up, to, up on Thursday, and I have seen it since, funnily enough. So it's quite a coincidence that a relatively obscure chart is, you know, the inspiration for other charts, I guess. Mm. Uh, the other thing I've been looking at is is more uh, sort of more a bit of curiosity than anything. And and I was talking to talking to a farmer on on Monday about you know productivity gains in in Australian wheat, and so I thought, well, let's have a look at how we compare in terms of our average yields of wheat versus other countries. And look, it's the way I've got efficient farmers, our water use efficiency is extremely high, but it does seem that we're just maintaining things as opposed to other countries around the world, whether they be, you know, developed nations like Canada or, you know, nations that we consider new wheat entrants like Black Sea nations, they all seem to be advancing their yields at, you know, quite a significant higher rate than we are and whether yeah, i don't know why that is but we're just we're staying sort of they've got they got, they got um have they got more room to make up to a degree i mean the australian farmers are renowned for you know being as efficient as possible with a lot of those practices and being quite you know good yeah, with their water use and i guess so like and this is this is this is a question for for the agronomists out there like we're not agronomists it's just we're just looking at the the the, the raw data and it's not like it's one particular country that is pushing it all up. You know, if we look at the likes of Canada, Canada's been growing wheat since, uh, well, as long as we have, I reckon. And and they seem to be having bigger productivity gains in the last 20 years than we have. And and likewise, you know, yes, the Black Sea and the EU is also experiencing those gains. But ours are tending to be, you know, on average, you know, the last couple of years we've done run about like two tons to the hectare which we were hitting back in the 90s as well whereas if we look at canada as, as a good example in the 90s they were sort of hitting five-year averages of you know two to two and a half in the 90s but are now hitting about three and a half mm. tons to the hectare so it's so you know i would say canada and australia different climates but something's something's happening different unless it means we are getting drier and drier and we're just only able to use the technology just to maintain what we already have yeah rather than to expand upon yeah no that's but a that, good but point that's, just that's, before that's a question you, for the agronomists out there maybe we should you know a good one um maybe um we should i was just going to go back to that thing on china with those stocks to, you know all the stocks they're holding because um when you mentioned that one 65 percent 
uh, was it of the world's rice? Uh, what was the big one they had? The first rice? Uh, was it rice six, and something six, else? 68% of the world's corn and 65% of the world's rice. Corn, that was it. And that's that's a country that is about, what, 20% of the world's population and they're holding that much of the of the stocks. I think on, I'm pretty on, sure it's about 20%. On paper, which, mm. is, which is the question is, and that's one of the questions that, that, that remains in my sort of mind is, uh, if we've got corn, like 68% of the world's corn is held in China on paper, that's, that's, a, that's a big volume. Um, but also mm. this year, and, that, and that's, that's even a high level for them. At the same mm. time that we also have extremely high uh, imports of corn, you know, record levels of corn being imported into China. You know, in a, in a normal year, they would be doing sub 5 million tons. This year, they're doing closer to 25 million tons you know in a mm. time when they've got record high stocks so maybe the uh, maybe the chinese officials there responsible are, are keen students of history andrew because um the last all the times when you've had a overthrow of an emperor or something in china historically was always after a significant kind of famine event so um maybe they're just making sure they've got plenty of food to feed we're everyone up, we're only two meals away from anarchy and you know <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an old saying. Two meals away from anarchy, and you know, two 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 meals away from the rug being pulled under them. <laughs> so, uh, if we know what it's like, mate, with this guest that pulled out, how, how it feels for the rug to be pulled from under you. But anyway, we'll just have to go and you you, you know some good rug salespeople, Andrew. Better. I'm I'm related, I'm, I'm, I'm related to some ex rug salesmen of 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 Turkish descent. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for grains. It's it's sort of the interesting thing at the moment as well is that, you know, if you were to book in futures for next year, you're still talking, or even physical contracts for next year, you're probably still talking about a contract with a, with a free number in front of it. So a 300 plus. Historically, that has been a psychologically good number for farmers. Mm. But I wonder if the last couple of years of, you know, pretty strong prices, you know, Maybe the target is slightly higher than that, but it's you know if you'd asked for a three hundred five years ago, it would have been a good number. Uh, yeah. If for, for for a post for a post drought period, and uh, so so that looks like some pretty good opportunities for for reasonable decile numbers uh, for next year. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, that's all all pretty good, all just sliding along, and we'll see what happens. All right, I think we've uh, we might, I think we might have covered it off, mate. Yep, short, sharp, and simple, just like you. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Right up. We're we're gonna head off. Uh, have a good weekend, everyone. Stay safe. Uh, if you like the podcast, share it with your friends and family. If you don't like the podcast and you share it with the people you don't like, put them through hell. Um, if you uh, and if you want to donate a beer, you know, send a beer to us. We're always open for that as well. Um, any any alcoholic beverage. Uh, any alcoholic cause... beverage. Open, open for, for, for beer donations. We don't want to just discriminate against wine producers. We like uh, our wine producers and, uh, you know, spirits as producers. That's all good. So, ciao for now. See you when you've got nothing on. Oh.